what does it mean to regenerate? The reemergence of the concept of regeneration in our culture is a hot topic. From producers to products, legislation to certifications, celebrities to students, there's no shortage of passionate perspectives. Welcome to Regen Circle. I'm Paige Fay, and on this show, we're here to explore the reemergence of regenerative concepts and practices and their impact on ecosystems and culture. If you like what you hear, take a moment to subscribe, rate, and review the show. Welcome to the circle. Welcome. Thank you. Um, so everyone, this is my dear friend and someone who's also a mentor to me in the space, Lauren Tucker. Um, Lauren has spent the last 16 plus years working in regeneration and farming and natural systems thinking. She was co-founder and executive director of Kiss the Ground for many years and has since left to start a number of her own projects, one of which is Renourish Studios, which mm -hmm. I'm lucky enough to be a part of. She also consults on a number of other projects, um, working with farmers and brands on how to create more resilient systems. So I'm so excited to talk with you today. Good to be here. So I'd love to start with a quote that you wrote in a piece recently. I see beauty and possibilities everywhere, even in the most degraded landscapes, oppressed communities, and desolate situations. I see the possibility of bringing into being a reality that we haven't known before, an existence where all beings are valued and thrive, where whole communities experience abundance, deep connection, and love. I see the potential for a reality beyond colonialism, extractive capitalism, and climate chaos, a potential sourced from an understanding of living systems, not from a projection of the change I want to see in the world. Mm. I'd love if you could tell me a little bit about the journey to get there and the work that brought you to that perspective. Sure. Uh, how much time do we have? <laughs> <laughs> We've got a minute. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I definitely started, when I went to college, I went to college for international studies. So I thought I was going to save starving kids in Africa, for real. That's what I really thought at 18. And I've been through this whole journey of understanding how ingrained the hero's journey is in our society. And this idea that we can project our ideas of an ideal society or, you know, how we want communities to change and then go do that. And that that's okay or good. Mm -hmm. um, and so I've been unpacking that narrative of the hero's journey for a long time and seeing all the ways that it's a disservice to the way that we evolve society and how do we actually see what's potential here. And then from there, I've been learning a lot about living systems and living systems thinking. So how do we see the world as alive, in motion, dynamic, but also the forces behind? So not just our physical reality, but how do we see the energies at play mm -hmm. in all these connected systems, um, in our lives, in our companies, in towns and places? Like there's energy everywhere. Mm -hmm. um, and we pretend as if physical reality is the only thing to work on. Mm -hmm. And so with kind of those two understandings, understanding living systems and seeing them in a more dynamic way and as energy. And then also just unpacking this need to be a, a heroine and mm. do good and kind of come in and save things. And between those two intersections, um, I've been really exploring how do we actually evolve 
communities, society, and how can we actually thrive on this planet, which is, it's a big deal right now. You know, we're experiencing climate chaos, we're degrading the planet, our economic system is really extractive, and instead of just making these incremental changes, how do we actually regenerate? So that's sure. been the question. It's a big question. <laughs> <laughs> and when you're talking about not just coming in and being a hero and doing good, which is what so many of us have sort of strived for, they're like, oh, yeah. I, I want to do good in the world. I want to create change often gets talked about. And that, and that often comes, I think, from an individual level or an organization level. What are the different levels that you work at and how do you get out of a paradigm of doing good? Yeah, so I guess my journey, um, you know, I started in this very like hero mentality in college and then um, I studied abroad in West Africa and Ghana and I got to witness what UN development looked like and what the Peace Corps looked like and what all these do-good projects looked like and really started to understand that international development was really about neocolonialism and opening capitalistic markets abroad. And mm. so by the time I graduated college, my education had educated me to the point where I didn't want to work in the field I had a degree in. <laughs> and so then I went um, to New Orleans after Hurricane Katrina and helped with a bunch of rebuilding efforts. So then I tried to, you know, do this savior thing there mm. and realize that, yeah, people don't need saving. Um, and that there's a lot more to standing in solidarity with folks and figuring out kind of how do we evolve and what do we do next? Um, and really getting to know, getting to know people and mm. be able to walk a day in their shoes. And so then from there, I came to California and have been working in food systems ever since. And I've just been through this long journey of trying things and failing. Mm. Um, <laughs> and, you know, again, trying to do good all over the place. Like, oh, let's do educational initiatives or all we need to do is teach people or have classes. And then we can have this kind of idealistic society. And even starting Kiss the Ground, you know, we, we got really far in promoting a message that I think has catalyzed a lot of excitement around regeneration. But I think that what we failed to do was really communicate the depth of what was possible. Mm. And um, so it's through that journey I've kind of seen the foils of, of doing good in this heroic mentality. Mm -hmm. And then um, it's been through deep community, working with Carol Sanford mm -hmm. and in her change agent development and also working with Regenesis and all of their courses and working deeply with their team. In these two communities, I've learned how to examine my own thinking mm -hmm. and question things I'd never questioned before. I mean, I don't think that we walk around questioning what paradigm am I coming from in this conversation, in my business decisions, mm -hmm. right? We just go, we go straight to function and straight to doing without questioning, like, what was the thinking behind it? Mm. And so being in communities who were challenging their thinking and, and really um, bringing to life a living systems, way of, of seeing the world or worldview, um, that's completely changed my life and how I... I see what is possible now. 
Yeah, it's one of the things that attracted me to your work initially was, you know, wanting to create this platform, wanting to create media in the space, and and knowing that you had done a lot of work with Kiss the Ground and other organizations that have created such amazing media and documentaries and brought mm -hmm. so much awareness. And I had had a feeling walking into this, like, that's amazing, that's great. I'm so glad it exists. And it's clearly not creating enough systemic shifts yeah. at, the, at, the, at the rate in which things need to change. There's still so much sort of momentum going in the other direction that what then needs to shift in, in the way that we tell stories, in the way that we communicate. And I, I think it was your work in saying, well, it's not necessarily about the story being told. It's where are we coming from? when we tell the story mm -hmm. and and there are so many other subtle energies and elements that are often hard to talk about or boil down into a sentence or a TikTok video or something we were you know talking about the other day and it's also such important work one of the things that you had talked a little bit about was you know your shift away from that world and you're now doing a lot of work in not just like actually less farming work you still do work in that space but really looking at our economic system and how to shift that what drew you to that work and why do you think that that's such an important component of actually shifting our systems of nourishment and our food systems yeah so for the last um I guess almost four years at this point, I've been working on these multi-stakeholder projects where we're bringing farms and brands and scientists to the farm to say, how do we evolve a growing system mm -hmm. to prioritize soil health and you know water infiltration and reduction in chemicals? And these are large growing systems, right? So mm -hmm. we're working in California on farms that are farming you know 8,000 acres at a time. Uh, this is commercial scale production. And I've been doing that work and, you know, we're working with brands to see how do we value products in the marketplace and working with everyone all together in this beautiful collaboration and just hitting a wall all the time around the economics mm -hmm. and seeing that the farm really needs more value mm -hmm. um, in order to change their growing systems. I'm completely impressed with how growers are able to even bring products to market at commodity pricing. I mean, I used to, to sit and judge growers and say, how do you spray chemicals? Why isn't everything organic? I don't understand. And then the, the more time I've spent with growers, it really, you know, had a, a deep humbling and mm -hmm. stood in their shoes and understood that we've created efficient systems and we use chemicals and we use machinery and monoculture in order to bring product to market at a certain price point mm -hmm. and it's built in and then you know now we have this awakening around all the externalities of our current industrial farming model mm -hmm. and then the assumption is that we can just you know do good let's just bring in some education for the growers <laughs> oh let's let's just bring in a pilot program and pay for some of the practices to try these practices and once they try it they'll completely change their mind mm. but the reality is we have to deal with the economics and i see a lot of brands that are willing to work on pilot programs and are doing amazing things you know standing shoulder to shoulder with farmers but in many ways it's not enough because we're not touching the the economic model or how are we actually going to value land yeah. and 
all these things we say we want. Yeah. And that's one of the things that working on the other end of the, the spectrum for so long, working on the brand end of the spectrum, and there are a lot of bloated budgets. I, I won't lie about that. Yeah. And, and a lot of the money gets hidden in the line items that I've spent my career working in. Um, and at the same time, um, a lot of those companies are failing mm -hmm. as well. And a, and a lot of those brands are failing to be able to raise capital, failing to become profitable. Um, and so, and one of the things I'm really curious about is like, you know, at each end of the spectrum, people are suffering and people are yeah. struggling to make ends meet. Right. And you could argue that, yes, what farmers are living off of is way less than what the, the brand executives are living. And we could do that all day long, but the reality is most everyone that I've seen at each point in the system isn't thriving by any source of the definition. Mm -hmm. And so how do you then create value in that kind of a system. I think a lot of people get to this space that are like, well, there's there's no way to have economic wealth that also creates ecological and social wealth. Like something in the equation is going to have to give. And most of the time, social and ecological wealth have been what have given in this current system at the yeah. benefit of very few. And so where have you seen, success isn't the right word, but I'll use the word success, but where have you seen sort of increasingly thriving, maybe not all the way to perfect or bright, but increasingly thriving joints at sort of every point in the equation and what has led to that? Yeah, I don't know if I can think of any examples that feel like we're there yet. Mm. Um, but in this deep exploration of we really need to work on economic systems at the nexus of food systems, I've started to think about capital a lot differently. So I think that for a long time, you know, growing up in um, not a super wealthy place, I grew up in West Virginia around corn and soy farmers, and my dad was a professor, and so we lived this very liberal kind of educated lifestyle, but there weren't, um, there wasn't a lot of opulence where I grew up. And so I think that I've had this whole deep journey around understanding money and really what is what is the what is the energy of financial capital when it's working at its best or when it's doing it's kind of right working mm -hmm. and I think that it is you know it's a medium of exchange and how do we think about it adding value and moving value throughout the system as it flows. And I think what's really not working right now is that we have all these places where capital is stuck. Mm -hmm. So we have, you know, money being piled up in places and it's not flowing throughout the system. Yeah. And so I think we need to think about it a little differently in, you know, where can it add value along the way in the entire journey? Um, also thinking about other capitals than financial capital. Mm -hmm. um, you know, seeds are really abundant and, you know, one plant will produce all these seeds that mm -hmm. then could produce hundreds or thousands of plants. Yeah. And if that's the way living systems work and mm -hmm. that's the way nature works, then why aren't we designing systems like that? Yeah. I think we've monetized some things that maybe we don't need to monetize. Um, and in our deep drive for convenience, we've sacrificed a lot. 
-hmm. So I've been thinking about that kind of energy. Um, And then also, I think that we're in deep need of understanding what regeneration really is. And I think for most of my life, I thought about things as continuous improvement. So we're here, it's like, this is our current reality. We have farms who are struggling inside the commodity model. We have brands that are struggling, but how do we just do a little better, right? It's like all about incremental change. Mm -hmm. How can we figure it out with all of the current reality? How do we just rearrange what's already here? And we have to stop doing that. It's not working. Mm -hmm. We have to truly go back to the source of things and say, as a society, what do we value in the food system? What do we want it to look like? Um, how do we want to value farm and ecosystem and land and mm-hmm. um, cultural tradition and um, and go back to that source and then also go back to ecology? Like, what is California? California is a snowpack watershed that's dependent on the snowfall in the Sierras. The Central Valley is a seasonal wetland, right? Mm-hmm. And we've completely changed this landscape with canals and aqueduct systems. But how do we go back to understanding what is this place that is feeding so much of our world? And we, you can do that in any place and understand mm-hmm. the you know, ecology, understand the history, understand the cultural history, and really understand that context before moving forward. So it's like, what do we really care about? What do we want this to really look like? And then how do we understand that context? Because when we just start from what I know today, we miss so much potential. Yeah, there's so much in what you just said. And I think just speak. <laughs> there's like four conversations that I want to have right now, but I'm going to go backwards because that makes the most sense. You know, I think looking, speaking to the ecology of a place and imagining and really taking the time to sit and imagine before deciding what it is, mm-hmm. or before saying, this is the palette, these are the colors we have to work with, these are the things that we're able to do. So to start with the most recent piece, imagining. I think that that, and not just imagining, but imaging. And I mm. think that there's a, there's, a, there's a big difference that I've learned because when I use my imagination, I go to all the, these you know, fantasy places right and I think that that's where we can get caught up in the concepts of like hope that so many people that work in the climate change movement we have to hold on to because where else are we going to go and we imagine a more beautiful world and and we imagine creating you know utopian places and it's it's sort of like a momentary hit of hopefulness Mm -hmm. you know of of beauty of it's all going to be okay but it isn't lasting and it doesn't actually transition to action or the creation or the transition or anything systemic. And when we started working on imaging, it really shifted my ability to see things differently um, because it was based on what is there yeah, and not based on what I know to be there, 
really taking the ego out of it as much as possible, really taking my own conditioning and projection out of it as much as possible, and to actually image, to actually see what nature is creating, to see what that system has already created, to see what it has been historically and what it's actively creating, Mm -hmm. and then to see how I can interact with it and image what my participation or what this community's participation could be and then how how that begins to systemically really shift what's possible in a in a place or in a community yeah again back to this this hero's journey thing Mm -hmm. it's like we can project anything onto reality and Mm -hmm. we can see that anything is possible can you turn Las Vegas into Las Vegas? Can you turn the desert into like the most insane playground with the most wild, crazy shows and lights and extravagance? Yes. But, you know, what is that place at its core? And what is at the highest expression of potential for that landscape? Um, Same thing with the Central Valley. Like, we can grow monocultured crops and we can do it with less people, more chemicals in order to meet a commodity market, in order to, you know, get cotton out at less than $2 a pound and sell almonds for a price that a large brand will take them at. But is that the highest, best use of this landscape? Absolutely not. And what is that potential inside of the reality of that living system? Mm -hmm. And then can we see not just the physical reality, like the ecological context, but can we see the forces at work? Can we see the desires of the people that live there and what that community is striving for? Can we see the cultural context? Can we see the imperatives of our current reality? Like, mm-hmm. can we start to see all of those forces that actually are real at the same time as the mm-hmm. physical realities? And then from there, yeah, we can see potential in a different way. Yeah. Um, I get really excited about that. Yeah, I do too. And I think to bring it back to two of the concepts that you were talking about is I think we've lost everything you just talked about from the potential of the landscape, the, the cultural elements, everything we've sort of given up, even human health and you know everything yeah. else, we've kind of given up for, I think, wealth accumulation mm-hmm. and not even um, thriving across communities and across different levels of, of people and households, but wealth accumulation for, for a very specific piece. And I've tried to start looking at that not as bad yeah. But just what is, and I think about my dad who grew up in rural Arkansas, and, and I remember him saying to me one time, he was like, no, money was a thing we interacted with day and day. Like, it wasn't like, oh, I'm good for the next year, or now I can buy three more houses, or now mm-hmm. I can invest in this. It was an energy that flowed that they interacted with every single day. And we call that poverty, and we call that scarcity, but I think that can even use a reframe, and it doesn't have to be at that extreme level but we've taken it all we've taken it to the Las Vegas level. Yeah. And it's at the cost of everything else that you just named and I I think there is a movement towards people let's not demonize that but let's just look at it and and, and let's just see what can we imagine in, in a different balanced world and and one of the things I I want to take it back to is the concept of regeneration because I think that's a word that's 
used so often in sure. our space. Yeah, I'd almost rather not use it anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I understand that. I've questioned the name of this podcast like a number of times since I named it. But I think it's important how I've tried to look at it is say, wow, this has a lot of energy. It's clearly captured the imagination of a lot of people. A lot of people are interested in it. Can we look at that as a good thing? One of the things you talk about, though, is that, you know, in as it's becoming more popular, we've started to certify and and verify Mm -hmm. and put a lot of pieces around it to sort of make it palatable or well-meaningly to create a market for it, to create value Mm -hmm. for the term. And you've talked about the dangers of we we cease to regenerate when we put these boundaries around it. And I'd love if you could kind of share your perspective on that. Yeah. um, Especially through working with folks like Carol Sanford and Regenesis and in that large extended community, I've come to understand regeneration as a process. And I think that if we were to just use regeneration as a verb and not a noun, that would change everything. Because as soon as we label it like, oh, this is a regenerative couch or this is a regenerative sweater, right? And it's so silly, but people are doing this. I saw regenerative shampoo the other day. Yeah, it's really bad. It's become completely, yeah, not what it was intended to be. Um, But as soon as we use it as a noun, it's, it's assuming that it is in a static form where regeneration to me is absolutely a process. It's Mm -hmm. the process of continuing over and over to go back to source, to go back to essence, to go back to context, and then figure out how do we regenerate? How do we move forward? How do we evolve from there? Mm -hmm. And in the life cycle of a company or a product, you should be doing that all the time, Mm -hmm. right? in your thinking every day, maybe in your business plan every year mm-hmm. at the least. Um, and so this idea that you can name regeneration as this like end state, this static mm-hmm. thing is really ridiculous to me mm-hmm. because we don't know yet. It's like, great, farmers are going to try all these practices or they're going to go back to understanding the highest um, potential of the landscape in which they're farming within and that their role could be to express that potential, right? Then we don't know what will happen from there. And that's the point. Mm -hmm. And so this idea that like regeneration is five things and I can certify it and here's the scorecard, it's frustrating. Yeah. I also understand the reason for it in the marketplace. It's like as a customer, I go to the grocery store and how do I trust the product? And so I know why everyone wants it. Um, but I wish that the, the answer to that restraint of like, I need to know where this is from and I need to know how it was farmed. I wish the answer wasn't this certification mentality. Yeah. Cause it's just not working. Yeah. No, I understand that. I think that there's so much nuance and like we want people to get closer to their food systems and understand the nuance. And I think, yeah, the tension there is we exist very far from that. Right. Yeah. And so what's the bridge, you know? And and I think that's something that I get really curious about because I also, I want to create value for people that are 
working in a regenerative system or beginning to build regenerative systems. I want to create value for that farmer. I want to create value for that brand and that ingredient. And how do we do that? You know, how do we do that in our current marketplace? And I think, you know, certifications and labeling and marketing and branding is how we know how to do it. It's how we know to create a premium, such as the organic market. We've also seen the challenges that have happened since then. And so, yeah. Do you have any other thoughts about, like, how we move that needle forward? Yeah, I was listening to this Bandana Shiva interview the other day, and she's so incredible because she just shares what is, and she doesn't have those filters of, like, should I say this, should I not, right? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And she was talking about, as she often does and has been for a long time, she was talking about the forces at work of large corporations that have created the systems in which we're living within. And I think it's really important to remember that, again, there's a context to this moment. And our food system didn't always look like this. And it is being driven by, um, you know, a deep need for wealth accumulation and profits by chemical companies, companies that, um, you know, sell all the fertilizers on farm, petroleum companies, which are really the base of all chemical companies, the companies that sell the seed and are controlling seed all over the world. Mm -hmm. And yeah, our food system is at that mercy Mm -hmm. of these large forces and these large conglomerations of power. And so why do we even need a certification? Because it's like, oh, this is not that. This is not what has now become standard in our food system. And I think it's really important for us to remember what is happening here and what is the basis of what is normalized. And I think that we're going to need way larger cultural shifts than people are currently talking about or mm-hmm. willing to think about. You know, there's, there's kind of this desire that we could just do a little Again, like, oh, I just want to do a little good. Like, we can just do a little. Like, we can source in a different way. We can um, donate profits to some feel-good project, right? Mm -hmm. And while all of that is awesome or well-intended, I think we need deep cultural change. We need to really, as the mass of humanity get back in touch with what it is to be a human on this planet. We are tenders of the earth. And is everyone going to go farm? No. But how can we create a culture that deeply cares for the tending of land and not just growing food, but tending the spirit of land or tending the connection to land? And I think we need really a revolution in our culture. And So this idea that, you know, we just certify things that aren't the chemical industrial complex, that's kind of (laughs) lame. I love that you just ended that whole awesome monologue with, it's kind of lame. It is. I agree. I I totally agree with you. No, I think I read in one of your pieces one time you said, you know, a lot of the time we're just rearranging ships on the sinking or chairs on the sinking Titanic. And that really resonated with me. And there are definitely moments in my work when I'm like, okay, am I, am I doing musical chairs here? Are we actually working on, you know, problem solving a ship that is sinking? Um, 
I do want to spend a minute to talk about, you know, all of this work and, and everything that you've created is currently manifesting in one of your projects, Renor Studios, yeah. in a really big way. And I'd love to spend a minute talking about what that is and, and how that came to be. Yeah, so um, Renurse really deeply came from this need to work at the intersection of our food system and um, our economic system. And it came from my own personal journey of having my thinking disrupted and having living systems thinking come to life for me, not just as a concept on paper, but really I'm seeing our world in a completely different way and in a different worldview than I grew up in, in a different cultural context than I grew up in. And so there was a desire to apply living systems thinking to businesses and say, what would happen if food business leaders were going through a deep community? It's a three-year program. It's, you know, it's intensive. We're meeting on Zoom almost every week. We're three times a year in person. You know, what if we held a community container where a group of us dove into the murky waters of what in the world is, you know, is our current worldview? What could it evolve into? And how would I manage my business as a result? And so we're deeply committed to disrupting our thinking, examining ourselves. It's personal development inside of business development, inside of development of the communities we're a part of, right? It's this nested sense of development. And we said, what would happen if we did this work as a community and then really held ourselves accountable for this has to become part of our business models? And I think that, you know, we're a year into, a little over a year into to the original cohort and we had new people join us this spring or early summer. And I think we're deep in that struggle right now of like, do I have to apply it to my business? Like, this has been great. I'm thinking really differently, but like, I have to apply it to my meeting next week for real. <laughs> but that's the commitment is, you know, what would happen if we could be in community and examine our worldview and then say, how can our business models and the way we do business evolve? Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, what we're aiming for is that our business becomes a source of regenerating the community that we're a part of. Mm -hmm. So whether that's defined as a physical place or whether, you know, you're seeing that as an industry like the frozen food industry, mm -hmm. um, it's, you know, how can our businesses become catalysts for the regeneration and this deep overhaul that's really needed in our food system. Yeah. Um, so that's the, the current offering. Yeah. And then what has emerged is that there's a whole lot here and we're really excited to, to bring this to more folks. So we're in the process of creating new offerings too, mm -hmm. that maybe aren't three years in length, <laughs> or, you know, deep, <laughs> deep in the sense of time commitment and monetary mm -hmm. commitment. So we're working on some lighter touch offerings and it's really, um, gaining a lot of energy and it's um in some ways it's exactly where I thought I would land but in many ways I never thought you know I would be stewarding a developmental esoteric community <laughs> it like makes sense and 
you know, sometimes I wake up shocked that this is what I'm doing, mm-hmm. but I think that it's really needed. We need spaces where we can see new potential together and can stop that rearranging of the deck chairs. Yeah. Well, as someone who's only a few months into <laughs> the studio, I'm so glad I'm there. Mm. I don't know if I totally know why yet. <laughs> I'm still in the phase of unlearning mm-hmm. so many things and catching myself in moments and then catching myself in a limiting belief system or, or catching myself in, in, a, in a paradigm or a way of thinking that I've always worked in, not continuing to see the blocks that I've always seen, not allowing myself to image new pathways forward. Um, and I think one of the coolest parts is to do it in a community and to do it at different levels of learning. It's almost like Mm. schools when I hear about kids that are like in different grades and then they all (laughs) learn together, but they kind of co-create and there's still teachers and mentors and there's a lineage that's being followed. Mm -hmm. And so there's, there's history there and there's deep guidance so we don't lose our way, but there's also a lot of, of creativity and interplay and, and co-guidance. And that's been really fun as an adult to get to go kind of play in that type of a sandbox Mm. again um and so yeah it's been such a great experience so far um yeah yeah this lineage of living systems thinking um you know one of the things we're trying to deeply disrupt is this idea of teachers or experts Mm -hmm. and so we normally think about engagements like this as school and school is teacher gives you the material, you digest it, maybe you have a conversation, but the conversation isn't necessarily the learning part. Um, And then you take the test, right? And so we're aiming to build or remember in ourselves that learning actually happens through experience. So, you know, everything is is very Socratic in nature. It's Mm -hmm. like, test that in your own experience, go try that out. What is that to you? Think back in these times you've, you know, been in this situation. What did you learn from it? Mm. And then and then we're presenting things like worldviews and saying what's an authoritarian worldview? What's a you know, what is a yeah. behaviorism worldview? What is a living systems worldview? And so then we have something, some sort of material that we can reflect on all together and self-assess and say, hmm, where am I? Yeah. Um, but I think it's really important for us to access those deeper senses of knowing, but then do it within a container where you have folks who are further down the path and can help like see blind spots in your own thinking, but aiming to restrain that any of us know the answer, because if we know the answer, suddenly we lose so much potential in seeing something new. Yeah. It's been such a fun way to learn when there isn't an answer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's also just, you know, it's disorienting for some folks. It's like, <laughs> oh, I didn't say it wasn't disorienting. <laughs> just give me the answer. <laughs> it's a lot of things. Um, I've had to schedule decompression time around the calls for like a walk. Um, but in a good way, I think we should be challenged and, and we yeah. need to be thinking differently and we need bigger shifts than are currently happening. I think a lot of people are sick of the do good mentality and this is offering a different way forward. Yeah, and the premise, you know, is that we're so obsessed with function and what if really the place where we can leap the fastest, evolve the fastest, change things the fastest is 
in seeing things in a different way. And so that's the belief and premise of all of this work. Mm-hmm. And I think maybe five years ago, I would have thought that was crazy. <laughs> now I'm like deeply invested. And it's really the place we have yeah. the most power. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you can think about it for in your own life, in, I don't know, it's always easy to think of examples with family, you know, like yeah. frustrating moments with family or kids or parents and think about you know when you recontextualize something it's where you're able to switch the way you're acting the whole dynamic changes Mm -hmm. and we can do that in business we can do that in living systems we can do that in our world and things can happen really fast if we see them in different ways yeah it's you know I've been amazed there's been this coaching industry that's emerged for personal development right yeah. and and this biohacking yeah. industry that's emerged and people that are spending and dedicating and making millions of dollars and spending hours and days and months and years of their life on seeing themselves in new ways and creating new patterns for themselves and so rarely is that translated to our businesses and to our communities and yep. to the spaces that we're working in and I th- so I think it's a really powerful offering to go beyond the the whole individual as the Mm -hmm. whole and start to see how you know these nested holes interact with one another and and these this thinking can be applied um in broader landscapes Um, yeah and arguably a lot of those coaching platforms are like how do i coach you to my belief system definitely (laughs) (laughs) instead of like how do you get to your own inner understanding and and see the world as alive definitely there's lots of different types of therapists and coaches <laughs> out there. One thing that that I wanted to kind of wrap up on is hope and then belief mm. get brought up a lot, especially within the kind of climate change or environmental movement. We talk a lot about hope and being hopeful and creating hope and believing in a future mm. for future generations. Yeah. And I wanted to just get your perspective on on how you think about hope and my preferred perspective is belief Mm -hmm. and how you relate that to your your work and what drives you forward that's a really interesting question um yeah I think most of my career has been driven by a deep fear of climate change and you know I grew up in the 80s recycling was what we were taught in school um was going to be the way to deal with climate change and it just never felt like enough and I felt very hopeless and insignificant in the face of a global changing ecosystem and Somehow, most of our rhetoric around climate change has been very destabilizing or um, has created a lot of fear and like frozen behavior. Like, oh, that's too overwhelming. I'll just freeze, ignore it, or, you know, push it aside. Mm-hmm. And I think that we're in deep need of seeing ourselves as deeply capable of interacting with and shifting the systems of which we're a part. And I think that every human on the planet, no matter what position of perceived power or how much wealth you hold, has that ability. 
And so I think that our narratives around hope need a lot of adjusting. Mm -hmm. I think that we've kind of sold this like, you know, just do the five things that companies ask you to do or like buy green or eco-friendly, whatever that means. And, and be hopeful. It's kind of ridiculous. It's like taking everyone's power away. Mm. And instead of realizing, oh, like, what is the essence of being a human? We are earth tenders. We have this deep capability to manipulate the earth. Like we can plant trees and take them away. We can move mountains. Um, and then on an energetic level, like we can create realities and in which all of the plant and animal kingdom lives within. And so if we all have that power, you know, how could we unlock it to start getting in alignment with the living systems of our places and start working with each other to figure out how are we really gonna tend this system and we are the system. Sure, there are a lot of bad actors and there are 100% companies that are, you know, working against us or have created a system that isn't working at all. But yeah, that's how I feel about hope is that we need to stop kind of being in this passive role and energize. Like we all have this ability to, to deeply affect our world and be in relationship to it. Mm-hmm. And um, I also have been learning a lot about the way our ancestors interacted with the earth. And I think that the kind of dominant culture that expects us to be extractors, it's, it's just messing everything up. Mm-hmm. Like our ancestors believed that our relationship with the earth was an energetic relationship mm-hmm. and that you know, we had a duty to feed the energy of a place just as much as we had a duty to care for the soil and air and water, right? And so what does it look like to have a a cultural reawakening around, um, like, how we feed the world, not in, you know, GMOs and pesticides and numbers of pounds of food, Um, or like numbers of cargo containers, but how do we energize the world and how is it a reciprocal relationship instead of a single, you know, a unidirectional relationship, this extractive one. Yeah. So that's how I feel about hope. (laughs) What was the other one? Believe? No, I'm so glad I I asked that question. And, And I think that yeah, reciprocity is is the one concept that that gives me hope. Like I've yeah. never been a person where I just have hope. I actually feel very powerless when I just think about that concept. It, it, it because I look around us and it's not like what I'm currently seeing gives me hope. Yeah. Um, but I think when we look back, the belief in our capacity mm-hmm. as humans, that's what gives me hope or belief in the type of future that we can create. Um, Yeah, and I think we need to do it within some boundaries. Like, we live in this world where anyone can project their idea of reality like onto the world and onto others. And how do we live in a deep consideration for 
others, for our communities, for everyone. Like, how are we not just having so many self-serving actions? So it's not like, oh, everyone has power. Every person go create their version of utopia. (laughs) That's definitely not it. It's like, how do we work within the boundaries of what actually is? So, you know, certain ecosystems, carrying capacities, how do we work within those boundaries? Yeah, yeah. Um, it's been such a great conversation. I think we might be getting kicked out by the light. <laughs> by the light. <laughs> <laughs> um, but thank you so much for chatting with me today. I hope this is part one of, of many conversations and yeah. deepening conversations. And yeah, really grateful for the work you're doing and getting to experience it and hopefully share it with some more people. This way. Thanks, Paige. This was fun. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for tuning in to today's episode. If you liked what you heard, take a moment to subscribe, rate, and review the show. And if you want to learn more about how to get involved with The Circle, visit us at our website or on social media. We're always looking for like-minded people to connect with.